Let's sing that together. I think we know those words. I think. Let's try and see anyway. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Lord above. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ his Son. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because he's given Jesus Christ his I was sitting there singing it, and I just felt like you wanted to, too. I hope you did. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to the 115th Psalm. We're not in John today, but we're going to talk about what we've sung about, what you have seen. The, the first verse on the screen is just some of those pictures reflected back to beginnings until today. As we give thanks and acknowledge that it is for His glory, I titled this sermon, uh, To God Be the Glory, All the Glory. We withhold nothing. We claim no glory for ourselves. We claim no praise for ourselves, no, no credit for ourselves. But all the glory, all the praise, all the credit needs to go to Him. The psalmist stated that so beautifully in Psalm 115. And I want you to hear these words. We, we typically only read the first verse. That's what was on the screen. And, and for years, I, I don't know what happened to it. It's not up here right now. But for years, especially over at Losey, we had just a piece of paper taped to the pulpit that said Psalm 115.1. But the whole psalm speaks of his provision, of his grace, and of his glory. And it's really what I want us to think about today on this seventh anniversary. So hear the word of the Lord. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nations say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens, and he does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. 
Those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, and read that, O people of God. Personalized this morning, O Grace Baptist. Trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, the small together with the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. The heavens and the earth, the heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But as for us, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forever. Praise the Lord. What a tremendous psalm. What tremendous words that, that the psalmist writes there of, of consecration to God and, and recognizing the fallacy and the foolishness of idolatry. What, what a glorious truth it is that he says, look, Lord, to you is due all the glory. Unto you is all the glory due. Unto your name all glory is due. We have claimed that. We have professed that. We have said that that is our purpose as Grace Baptist Church. Above everything else, above all things, is we want to give God glory. We want to honor his name. And we want to lift up the name of Jesus Christ so that Somerset, Pulaski County, and the world might see it. That's our good desire. It's not to say, hey, look at us. Look at what we've done. We have done nothing. All that we've accomplished, the song said a while ago, and based on Psalm 115, all that we have accomplished, you have done for us. You know, though we deserve your judgment, you've called us by name. You've given us life. You've given us a church body, a church family. You've given us a place to worship. You've given us a ministry. You've given us a calling in this county, in this area. You've given us a calling to Peru and to Columbus, Ohio, and to utter, uttermost parts of the earth. Literally, you have called us by your name. And we sit here this morning glorying in the cross of Christ, glorying in what he has done and what he has accomplished for his glory in us and through us for that we give thanks and for that we are grateful you know we live in a day where that verse one is something of a of an unknown we live in a world that would be very quick to tell you no it's not under the lord it's to us it's to what I want and what I desire and what, what, what will make me happy and please me. That's what's important. And it's that I be seen as one who can accomplish great things. Not necessarily for God, but for myself and for my glory. I mean, we live in a world that is so narcissistic and so self-centered and so captivated by their own self that this verse, to many, just seems like a foolish statement of some kind of religious platitude 
but certainly not the truth, certainly not the way things are and the way things ought to be, indeed the way things must be. But we understand that God's Word is true. We stand on that truth. We believe that truth. We live in a day that literally needs <laughs> literally needs a new reformation. Now, you know, I, I look back to the, to the 1500s when the first Reformation took place. And, and a lot of people get that so confused and, and, and miss out on so much of the glory of that when, when the church was just in a, it, it was in a mess. It's about the best way I can say it. I mean, they were doing all sorts of things just for their glory and for their exaltation. And, and they would give some lip service to God and they would say some things about God. But, but all in all, it's about what I can get, what I can accumulate, what I can accomplish. Even to the point of when Martin Luther rose up in, in 1517 and nailed his 95 theses to the, to the Wittenberg church door, which uh, you know, basically was the start of the Protestant Reformation, the church had become fat, wealthy, comfortable, and desired basically above everything else just to say, let's get people feeling good about themselves, and, and we'll, whatever it takes, we'll sell them indulgences. What I sometimes laughingly call the, you know, sin, uh, uh, a pay now, sin later plan. You know, just kind of some indulgences. Or, or get indulgences for a, law, for a dead relative who's, who is in purgatory or somewhere else. And we'll spring them out of there through giving of indulgences and paying some money. It was all about gathering for itself. The church had become fat. The church had become sloppy. The church had become very loose in its theology about who God is. Wait a minute, I'm not thinking about the 1500s, I'm thinking about today. The church has become fat, lazy. The church has become sloppy in the way we view things, the way we look at things. We, we've become hands-off in so many ways of the culture around us. It's give us our freedom inside our walls and we'll keep our mouths shut elsewhere. And our, thought, our theology has become so loose in so many ways. There needs to be a new reformation. There, there needs to be a new call to at least three things within the church. And I'm speaking of the church at large here now, although we've not perfected it at all. So I want you to understand that. I'm talking to us too. But I'm talking to where the church is today. First of all, one thing I've been praying for at, at Grace Baptist Church ever since seven years ago when we first started is I've prayed for and I've, I've sought to see what you might call a recovery of the biblical gospel. Recovery of the biblical gospel. You know what the gospel today is? The gospel today is a gospel of prosperity, a gospel, hey, come to Jesus so you can get what you can get out of him. You know, come to Jesus so you can pray and, and he'll give you stuff and he'll give you, he'll give you fame and he'll give you popularity. I mean, just come to Jesus and he'll make you as happy as you ever dreamed about being. That is the contemporary gospel of the 21st century. The biblical gospel is not about you feeling good. The biblical gospel is about God being exalted, Jesus Christ being lifted up, and seeing the power of the gospel change lives. Most of you know this. Some of you are new here or guests today don't know this, but directly below this pulpit, in the foundation, in the slab, is a metal box that was built specifically uh, by, by Chad Pierce to, to hold a Bible. And that Bible is in that box with concrete poured all around it. But it's directly under this pulpit. And 
that Bible is open to Romans 1, 16 and 17. And, and, and in those verses, the, the Bible is highlighted. And it, it, it's just simply a call to what we believe. And this, it's this. It says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first. And, and also to the Greek or the Gentile. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, but the righteous man or woman shall live by faith. That's the essence of the gospel. The gospel is not feel good, feel happy, get what we like. It's worshiping the living God and seeing the power of the gospel Trust in Jesus Christ. All who believe being changed in their lives by the power of Almighty God. A biblical gospel. I remember in 1998 sitting in a pastor's conference. Actually, it was a preaching lecture series at Beeson Divinity School in Birmingham, Alabama at Sanford University. First time I'd ever really had any real encounter face-to-face with a guy named John Piper, and Piper was doing the preaching lectures at Beeson. Then we were doing a staff retreat there, and I remember on Wednesday of that week, he stood in the pulpit, and and I saw the title of his message, and I thought it was rather strange. And the title of his message was "How Not to Blaspheme God in Your Preaching." Oh wow, it's kind of an insulting title to all us preachers and seminary students who were sitting there, I'm sure, you know, how not to blaspheme God. And he began to develop that, and he said, here's how you blaspheme God. You blaspheme God by not presenting him in all his glory, in all his majesty, in all his sovereignty, in all his power, and you present him as some kind of self-help guru who just kind of want to help you be the best you can be in your own strength. He said, if you're offering your people something that they can go down to Barnes & Noble and go to the self-help section and find a book on how to have a better life, how to have a happier life, how to have a better marriage, how to, have a, how to be a better parent, you know, just out of some practical things. If that's what you're doing and you're not exalting Jesus Christ and exalting the glory of God, then you're blaspheming God even in your preaching. If you want to see God blaspheme, go home and turn on your television. Not, not to the... Not to the sitcoms and the dramas, they do that well too, but turn it on to much of the preaching that's on there that exalts man and lowers God, that at best makes him a co-equal helper of what we want to do and what we want to accomplish. I pray to God that in our day we'll see a recovery of the biblical gospel at grace and beyond. Second thing is, I pray for... a a renewal, that we would recover biblical holiness. Not, not self-holiness, not self-righteousness, not, not walking around with our nose in the air thinking we're better than other people. That's, that's not genuine holiness. Genuine holiness is coming into the presence of God and be, having our lives cleansed and our spirits changed and our hearts changed so that we desire to to be obedient in our sanctification, to be obedient in the call that he has called us to. Again, it's not a self-help thing. 
It's not I'm going to try harder, I'm going to do better, I'm going to live a better life. It's saying, Lord, fill me by your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Spirit. And coming before Him and saying, Lord, make me in the image of Jesus Christ. I'm not there. I'm not there. That's why I want to be there. I desire to be there. And I desire for you to desire to be there. I I desire for you to want that with all your heart, with all your soul. In every aspect of your life because see that's what that's what Jesus was talking about when he had John write that letter to the the church at Ephesus that Ricky read earlier to Ephesus he said listen you're, you're a great church in the eyes of everybody around you you hate sin you take stands against unrighteousness. Why, why you have a, a reputation of being really big in good deeds and, and doing all the right stuff, and, and it's exciting. You know, everybody looks at it, but I want to tell you something. All that's well and good, and you're doing a good job with that, but one thing I have against you, you've forgotten your first love. You see, we can be real religious, and we can be real active. And we, have, we can have ministry, we can have angel tree ministry, we can have ministries to Hope Way and Colonial Village, we can have ministries in Peru, we can, we can give money to Lottie Moon, and we can do all sorts, we can do a lot of stuff. And not love Jesus with a love that changes our hearts. Not love Jesus that puts him first, and... and he would say to us, here's, here's what I have against you. You're really good at activity. You're really good at doing things. But you've forgotten your first love. So a, a recovery of a biblical gospel, a recovery or a renewal of biblical holiness. And thirdly, a restoration of biblical churchmanship. Now I can hear you now. What? What, what does that mean? What do you mean by biblical churchmanship? Well, I mean by being part of the body in a significant way. I mean what we talk about when everybody joins this church, and when you join this church, you remember what we talk about when we talk about the covenant. I just went out and picked one up off the welcome stand at the first of the service today. You know, but to remind you, this is what we say we will do. And, and this, this is talking about being churchmen and churchwomen. It's about a relationship with Christ. That's how it begins. But then it's about coming together in this covenant relationship, this covenant family, and committing ourselves to one another and saying we will minister to one another, we'll care about one another, we'll be involved in the life of the church. It's not just joining another social club. It's not just getting our name on another role. It's just not so we can say, oh, we're a member of a church. But we're vitally involved in the ministry through, yes, our giving of our money and our our giving of our time and our, our giving of ourselves. But it's really being involved with one another's lives. I mean, churches today have lost that concept to a great extent because we've become so individualized. Today, you go to somebody who's a brother or sister in Christ where you have committed to them that you'll bear their burdens and you'll bear their sorrows, you'll rejoice with them when they're rejoicing. But you'll also keep watchful care over one another and admonish one another and entreat one another as occasion may arise or require. 
I, I went to a brother not long ago, and I tried to admonish him lovingly, kindly, gently. But I said, look, your, your profession and your, you know, there's just, there's a disconnect here. And fortunately, later, this person came and came back to me and said, you know, you're right, and I repent. We prayed together and hugged. And, but his first reaction was, what I do is my own business. It's none of yours. So wait a minute. You made it my business when you covenanted together with this flock, with this body. Biblical churchmanship says that we care about one another, we love one another with more than just lip service. We desire to touch one another's lives. Involved in the life of the church, taking seriously the one another passages. Not living as an island, not living separate from the body, but involved in the body. That's what biblical churchmanship is. I always come back to Acts chapter 2 for some reason. When I'm thinking about us as grace, as what God wants us to be, when I think about when I think about where we've come from and, and where God has brought us to, and I, I just always seem to come back to Acts chapter 2. Just two verses there, really, and that's verses 42 and 46. Let me start with 46. It says, Day, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Luke says, here's what was happening in that early church. Pentecost has taken place. 3,000 people have been saved and baptized. And now they're, they're, they're becoming the church and they're growing and they're, they're splitting up in homes and they're, they're talking about who Christ is. And it says, listen, it's a glorious thing. Every day, day by day, God's adding people who are being saved. He's saving people and bringing them into the body every day. Wow, is that not a beautiful picture? You say, yeah, but you know, that was back the first of Christianity. I mean, that was back when Christ had just raised from the dead and 40 days later he ascended into heaven and Pentecost took place and, and all these great things. I mean, it wasn't, that's just, that was at the beginning. Everything's always bigger at the beginning, isn't it? Always excitement about the beginning of something. A relationship with Christ and being the church of Jesus Christ ought not be something that's exciting at the beginning and loses excitement. If that happens, there's a losing of your first love. There's a diminishing of your first love. It says here, boy, they were, they were praying together. They were, they were, or here they were worshiping together. They were breaking bread together. They were having meals together. And they were just with gladness and sincerity of heart together. Back in verse 42, where there's kind of that transitional statement that Luke uses, he says there, after the people were saved, after 5,000 were baptized, said they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And God was doing many wonders and signs through the apostles. They were just standing in awe at what God was doing. Yeah, you know, I got I to tell you, seven years ago, seven years ago, 
That's kind of where we were. We were kind of standing in awe. I mean, what has God done? You know, we met on that Sunday night, October 22nd, and, and we hope maybe a couple of dozen people might show up, and 256 people are there saying, we want to be what God has called us to be. And we saw, we saw some things start happening, and we literally, I literally just stood in awe of it. I said, Lord, <laughs> what are you doing? glorious thing. That's the way the early church was. That's the way we ought to be today. It says there's several things happening there. You know, they were, they were de- dedicating themselves, continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, that's, that's worship and study of the apostles' teaching. We have the apostles' teaching here, and we study that together. That's our focus. That's what we look at. It exalts Jesus. It glorifies God, and it strengthens us. They they just thought being together in study and worship was the most important thing they could do. They were also fellowshipping together. They were were going from house to house, sharing their meals together, having time together. They They were doing what God had called them to do. Breaking of bread kind of has a double meaning probably there. Here it probably means more the Lord's Supper down in verse 46. It's breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together, but here it's probably more observing the Lord's Supper together, communion, they were gathering around close. They were worshiping. And their focus was on God. Their focus wasn't on style. You know, I don't, I don't know if Peter could lead singing very well or not. I, I don't know if, if he got, had those psalms down just right and he could, he could lead them in the I don't know. But, but style wasn't the issue. Style ought not be our issue. It ought never be an issue of style. It ought to be an issue of content. It ought to be an issue of truth. It ought to be an issue of, of, of worshiping the living God as he shows himself in Scripture. And a prayer. Grace was born out of extraordinary prayer. Grace was born out of a, a, a group of people who, who could not quit praying. We were, we were hungering for him because we were feeling as though we were a ship cut loose at sea, just drifting in, in many ways. And we focused ourselves on Him. Now we've got a building. Now we've got comfortable seats. And we've got some stuff that makes us look like a real church. So, hey, we got all we need, right? Wrong. That's why you'll find in your order of worship this morning. I don't want you to pull out and look at it now, but instead of a faith talk today, we we put in a prayer guide. Ten days of prayer for Grace Baptist Church. I want to encourage you to use that as a family. Maybe invite some other church members over and pray for that day. Now, it's broken down in ten days. Here's how I want you to do it. Starting tomorrow, do five days, Monday through Friday. Then take Saturday and Sunday just to prepare for worship on Sunday and, and worship on Sunday. And then the next week, take 6 through 10. And, and pray the things it's talked about. I mean, they're, they're not, they're not, it's not rocket science, okay? And I didn't develop it. Chuck Lawless wrote it, as a matter of fact. Uh, and it was put on Tom Rainer's blog. But we were looking at it as a staff, and we liked it. So 
I think Scott was, I mean, excuse me, Todd was the first one to find it. And it's just, you know, big things like pray for your grace, staff, and leaders. I realize it's grammatically wrong there. I should have not had apostrophe yes. Pray for your grace, staff, and leaders. But I did that, so forgive me. You know, pray that we will all be holy, passionate, and evangelistic. Pray for us that way tomorrow. Pray for me and the other pastors and and for our worship leaders and our instrumentalists and and all those that God uses to lead us in worship and, and lead us. Pray for the Sunday school teachers, your Sunday school teachers. Pray those things for them. And then day by day, five days, two days off, five more days, just 10 days of focused prayer for our seventh anniversary. There's no greater gift that you can give to your church as an anniversary gift than to spend these 10 days in prayer for the church. So they were praying together. You know, I think one of the best summations of what takes place here, you see every time you walk in this building. It's, it's out there on the wall above the the counter where the coffee's served and everything. It's got some pictures from Peru around it. But it's kind of been our, our mantra, if you will, or our, our slogan or our expression of our goal since we first came here, first developed seven years ago, since grace became a church. Loving God, loving one another, and reaching the world. Loving God, that's our worship expressing our love to Him, expressing our dependency on Him, expressing our desire to give Him all the glory. That's our worship. We we do that in here. We do that individually away from here. But we do that together corporately, week by week. And, And the focus must always be on Him, loving God through Jesus Christ. Second thing is loving one another. That's that biblical churchmanship. Caring about one another. Weeping with those who are weeping and rejoicing with those who are rejoicing, Paul said to the Roman church. And that's what we say in our church covenant. And reaching the world with the gospel. We must be mission-minded. We must be evangelistic-minded. We must have a desire to see those in our sphere of influence right here in Somerset have the gospel shared with them by us. Every one of us called to do that. Every one of us appointed by Christ to do that as he opens doors. You know, it's been a great seven years. And and the things that we started with are the things we are continuing with. The purpose for which we started is the purpose which we are at now. And by God's grace, we will continue in as long as the Lord tarries. But it's not an automatic. You see, sanctification is a work of God, but it's a work of God that we are told to pursue. Being the church, being Grace Baptist, is a work of God. It was done by a miracle of God. It was done in a way that we can't fully understand or fully explain, but it's something that we are to pursue being now what God has called us to be. We must do that. Someone said to me this past week, I don't remember who it was. I think it was a church member. But the old mind doesn't always work. 
He said, you know, seven, that's a pretty significant number. It is. It's a number of perfection in many ways in the Scripture. It's a number of completion. I wish I could stand here this morning and say, we're seven years old as a church. We have done it all perfectly. We are now arrived. We can now point to ourselves as the perfect church that everybody ought to model themselves after. We can't and we won't because forever we will be a work in progress. But my prayer as your pastor, as long as God leaves me in this pulpit, is that we will never be satisfied with where we are. We'll never be content in anything but Jesus. We'll never be content with our ministry. We'll never be content with our involvement. We'll never be content with with anything until we see him face to face. Yeah, seven years. It's a great number. It's a great time. Comes at Thanksgiving, and my heart is filled with thanksgiving to God for you. You have encouraged me. You have loved me. And I know I can be unlovable a lot of times. But you've loved me, and you've encouraged me, and you've done the same thing for the staff, the other pastors stood with us, but I hoped and pray to the Lord that you stood with us, not because of us, but because you love him. In John's gospel in 2014, we're going to come to that last passage of Jesus right there on the beach with the, on the edge of the lake uh, with, the, uh, with the disciples. And he's going to look at Peter and say, Peter, do you love me? Peter's going to say, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. A few minutes later, he's going to say, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you've already asked me this, but yes, I love you. Then tend my lambs. A little bit later, he comes back again. Can you imagine how frustrating that must have been to Peter? Peter, do you love me? Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep. It's amazing there, and I said this a few weeks ago. It's amazing there that Jesus never once said, Peter, how do you love sheep? You like sheep? You want to be around sheep? Never asked him that. Because that's not the issue. The issue is, do you still hold to your first love? Peter, Bill, Todd, Scott, Ricky, you, do you love me? And care for one another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Strengthen one another. Fellowship with one another. Worship with one another. Study God's Word with one another. Love one another. And so prove to be my disciples. Let's pray.
Father, everything we have and everything we do is a gift of your grace. That we know, that we declare, it's a gift of your hand by your grace. Father, for that we're grateful. Father, give us grateful hearts this week, this day, for what you have done and are doing and even what you are going to do in and through Grace Baptist Church. Father, always let us give you the glory. Because, Lord, most of what you do here, you do in spite of me, not because of me. Father, for that I am grateful. For that I give you praise and honor and glory. Father, teach us to abide in your truth in your word. Teach us, O Lord, to love you more than we love the world. Help us individually as a church at Grace and as a church throughout this country and world to recover your biblical doctrine, the gospel, your biblical truth of holiness. Lord, help us to see a reestablishment of biblical churchmanship for your glory. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.